Well, at the beginning of John chapter 2, we see Jesus at a party. He's at a party, and what does he do? There's a problem with the party, and then immediately he tries to help. Immediately he jumps in. Immediately he, he comes, and he is kind. He is gentle. He is, he is welcoming. He is um, the, the Jesus that everyone wants, right? A helper, a, an ever-present help in time of need. That's how Jesus shows up. And then I love what John just did. He threw a complete 180 on us. And then all of a sudden we see Jesus making a whip out of cords, driving people out of the temple, walking in with a whip, turning things over, chunking things across the room, money being thrown everywhere throughout the, throughout the temple. And we gotta ask ourselves, Jesus, what are you, what's up? Jesus, what are you doing? Um, bad day? Long trip between Capernaum and, and Jerusalem? What's going on? A little bit of road rage going on? What, what's up? What's going on with all this? So that's our question before us. Because here's the thing. How are we doing? Uh, hopefully it will stop doing that. <laughs> right? Lord, did we pray for my microphone? Did y'all pray for my... We gotta, I got to remember that. I got to remember that. Um, so let's all do that now. All right. We got to think about what Jesus is doing here. Because there is a, there's a difference. There's a stark difference. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. No matter what your temperament is, or maybe even your church background, or how you even think about Jesus, you prefer probably one Jesus over the other. So the idea of Jesus keeping the party going over here might be foreign to us uh, because you like the Jesus that goes Old Testament on people, right? You like the Jesus that is like, hey, you know what? I'm going to dish out a little wrath. That uh, Things are getting a little too chummy here. I, I'm, I'm going to make sure that... Uh, uh, things are getting back in order, that perfection in order and righteousness is being established in order. That might be your temperament. Or uh, this idea of Jesus coming and making a whip and driving people out, driving out people and money changers and overthrowing temples or, or, or overthrowing uh, uh, tables. This might be something that you say to yourself, oh, I don't, I don't like this Jesus at all. And, and, and you know what, maybe, maybe we're not understanding it right. And so what our culture does is we treat Jesus kind of like a, like a salad bar, do we not? We say, like, I, I like this part of Jesus, and I, and I don't like this part of Jesus. This part of Jesus over here is good, but this part of Jesus over here, I just kind of ignore and move on. And I create a portrait for myself of who Jesus is. But guess what? You can't do that with him. Why would we do that? How, what, how does it make any sense for us to treat Jesus like a Lego set, that you can just build him however you want to build him? You don't do that with anything else in reality, do we? We really don't. Uh, I, there was one time that I was driving uh, to meet my parents in Angel Fire, New Mexico. And I was driving with my, at the time, one-year-old daughter and my wife. And the road that it took us there was so windy, I thought, there is no way, there is no way that this is actually going correct. There's no, because at some point there was a dirt road, at some point there was, uh, Ryan, are you, are you switching me? All right. Yeah, let's, let's, let's stop that. That's painful.
Now I just need a podium that I can bang on. I'm Kate Kemp now. All right. So, are you with me? Where we're at? All right. We still good? Still good to go? All right. We're on a on a windy road to New Mexico, and I thought there's no way that we can keep this up. It was going right and left and dipping, and all I saw were tall trees, and we're going down a mountain and up a mountain, and we we're like, there's just no way that Google has this map thing right. But this is what I didn't do. I didn't say, you know what, I'm tired of this. From now on, I'm just gonna go straight. That's all I'm gonna do. I'm just going straight from here, from here on out. I don't care what this road is, going, is doing. I am going straight because I'm tired of turning. No, you can't do that. What do you do? You just drive right into a tree, drive right into the ditch, drive right off the mountain if I did that. No, I had to submit to the reality of the road that was taking me to my destination. Why would we treat God any, even less than we treat a normal road that we say, I know I have to submit to this. I know I, have to, I know I have to govern my life according to the direction that the road is going. Why would we treat God any differently? But yet we do, all the time. We say, I, I like this part of Jesus, but I don't like that part of Jesus. And so it'd be foolish for us to do that. So we have to see Jesus in his clear, in, in the clarity that John presents him as the life of the party and also the one that has the whip in his hands, the one that is bringing things to, um, to ultimate justice in matter. And so what we see here today is we see a couple of things as we look at John chapter 2. We see several things. We need to understand very primarily what is Jesus doing here? What is he doing? Why is he doing it? And what is he trying to teach us? What is he trying to teach us by clearing the temple? All right? So what did he do? Obviously, he cleared the temple. You, you heard what Daryl said. He cleared the temple. He overturned the money, uh, the money tables. He th- drove out the pigeons. He said, get these pigeons out of here. And he got everyone out of the temple. He was purifying it. Now, why? Why was he doing this? Because in those days, it, it was Passover. And a lot of historians said about the turn of the century, whenever Jesus was um, here for this particular Passover, the census of Jerusalem was around 80,000 people. But during Passover, guess what? That exploded to five, six, maybe even eight times the number of people. Maybe even eight times the number of people in the single town. And so it was hustling and bustling and everything that was going on. And it made sense. It made sense for uh, the people that were traveling long distance to come in for the, Passover, for the Passover feast and the Passover festivities, it would make sense for them not to bring their own animals for sacrifices, but that they could trade. They could trade their currencies for, to, buy, um, to buy the animal sacrifices that were necessary for Passover, to buy the Passover lamb there. And so it wasn't necessarily a sinful thing that was going on here. This, this just makes sense. But what happened was, was this. All this hustle and bustle, all, all the trade should have been happening out in the streets. And what happened was it came into, into the temple itself. And so, you see, it wasn't a bad thing that they were doing. It was a right and good and noble thing that they had to do for all their guests to come into Jerusalem. But Jesus said, you've gone too far. 
You've gone too far. This was supposed to be a house of worship for the nations, and you have brought in the marketplace here. Everything in worship became transactional. And so uh, imagine uh, we were gathering here at the YMCA on a Tuesday while they were playing pickleball right behind us. All right? That's That's what's going on here. All right, it, it would be too mechanical. It wasn't about the sole devotion of God uh, right here that uh, Jesus is, um, is trying to present. It was, it was too mechanical. They were coming in, they were doing a couple of sacrifices, reading a couple of prayers, and they were going out. They, it, it, was, it was a religion that was just on wheels and transactional and going from one thing to the next thing. So Jesus had to cleanse it. Jesus had to purify it because... The centerpiece of worship was not God and God himself. So Jesus came in and he decided that he was going to purify the temple from everything that wasn't exclusively about the worship of God. Okay? Why did he do it? Why did he do it? He did this because Jesus knew that the temple, the presence of God, if you wanted to be near the presence of God, you had to be holy. Holy. And that's what we see here in this passage in verse 18. Look what it says. It says, so the Jews said to him, after he had done all this, after he cleansed the temple, he says, what sign do you show us for doing these things? This shows us that they knew. They knew that whenever the Messiah came, whenever the Messiah came, that he was going to have a zeal for the purity of the worship of his people. He was going to have a zeal uh, uh, for the desire for his people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And they even quote Psalm 69, verse 9, whenever they said it. It said, uh, zeal for the house will consume, will consume me. They knew that the Messiah, whenever he would come in, he would purify the temple. He would purify the centerpiece of worship so that we could have relationship with God in right, in right form. In Malachi chapter 3 is really the prophecy that this whole section is pointing back to, to where they knew what was going on. In Malachi chapter 3, I'll throw this up on the screen. It says this. It says, The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand whenever he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner, the purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi. The sons of Levi, you know who they were? The people that were supposed to be in charge of the temple. And so the, the, uh, the full fruition of this prophecy is happening whenever Jesus enters in. Whenever he enters into the temple. This is what we see going on right now, that they knew that if the Messiah is here, he would have a burning intensity, a hopeful desire to purify anything that was keeping people from the pure and unstained worship of God and God himself. So they knew. They knew what was going on. And so what Jesus decided to do is purify everything, to make it holy. And so... Here's a question that we need answered. If this is what he was doing, we need to answer the question, well, what is holiness? What does it mean to be holy? Because if, you're, if you've been around church for a little bit, you probably 
have heard that word, but I bet if we took a poll and everyone had to write down on their little next step cards a definition of what holy was, I, I don't know how many people we have here, but I bet we'd have a whole lot of different definitions. So let's look at what the Bible says holy is, because a lot of us, whenever we think of holy, we think of Angela from The Office. I said this last week. We think of someone that is just upset all the time. Oh, this is just a holy roller. This is someone that doesn't actually uh, care, doesn't think anything's funny. He's, o- he's always snubbing their nose, throwing the Bible um, at everyone. The, it's, it's the person that you want to avoid in the break room. It's the person that you um, want to take. If she gets up and goes to the bathroom or if he gets up and goes to the bathroom, you're like, oh, I, don't want, I can hold it. <laughs> I can hold it. I, I, I don't want to have an interaction there. All right? So this is what we think of in our culture, or at least what our culture thinks of a holy person to be. But what, what does the Bible say holiness really is? Holiness to God is his beauty. It's what makes him beauty, uh, beautiful. It's what makes him separate. It's what distinguishes him from us. It sets him completely apart. One of the ways that I want to explain this this morning is that you know that even, even pots and pans were described as holy in the Old Testament. I was like, oh, how in the world can a, can a pot be seen as holy? Well, let me tell you. If you, if you had a holy vessel over here, do you know what it was used for? The sole purpose of the tabernacle, the sole purpose of the temple. It was used for the, for the worship of God and God alone. There was a singular thing that it was about. There was one singularity that was going on it, that made something holy, and it was about the pure devotion and worship of God. That's, that's what something that is holy is. And Jesus knew that worshipers had to come to him, had to come to God himself and be distinguished as holy. The only way you could approach a holy God is if you were holy yourself. And so Jesus came, saw all the hustle and bustle and said, I'm going to purify. I'm going to make these things holy. And if you're honest with yourself, if you're honest with yourself, you hear that, and you might have a twinge of discouragement going on. If you're really honest about uh, your relationship with God, you, you understand that the closer that you get to understanding who God is, the further, the further you feel close to him. Uh, whenever I was a youth minister in uh, a West Texas town, it was a very small church. It was an aging church. And uh, that meant that uh, at all times during the week there was someone in the hospital. And this was actually a great gift to me because um, Redeemer right now is a relatively young church, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, But uh, I was able to um, have so many different good, long, meaningful conversations with people that were in the hospital. And so whenever I'd walk in, I'd you know, I'd always ask, how can I pray for you? And what are you in for? And how can, uh, what's going on? And conversation after conversation after conversation of someone that was in there for a serious matter said this. You know, Cody, I, I appreciate you coming in. But if we dug a little bit deeper, they always said this. They said, I know I haven't lived the life that I should have lived. Over and over and over, I got the same response. And I think it's because of this. Because deep down, all of us know that we are made for, for, for holiness. 
We are made for perfection, we, that, that we actually aren't living up to the standard that God has set for us. I think all of us know it deep down. If we do an honest assessment of the condition of our heart and our, and our closeness to God, I think we would be really, really, really honest to say, you know what? I haven't lived the life that I'm supposed to live. And whenever people are further um, down the road, there was, and you, you're sitting in a hospital bed for 48 hours, maybe even longer, you have time to ask the real existential questions of life. And I got to have these conversations all the time, over and over again. I'm not living up to the standard that God desires me to live. So why did Jesus cleanse the temple? Why, why was he cleansing it for holiness? Because God demands that if we want to approach God, we ourselves have to be holy as well. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says this exact thing. It says, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And so if you're with us for a while, especially if you've gone through membership, you've probably seen this chart that I'm about to throw up on the screen. All right? You've seen this chart. And what you see here is it kind of is a picture of your life. If you're a Christian in this room, it's a picture of your life with Christ. And you kind of have a, a section here where it talks about your conversion, your life with Christ. And notice what that top line going upwards is. Is as you grow in awareness of God's holiness, a, a very natural thing begins to happen. You recognize that I am nothing like this God. I'm just not like him. Um, the standards that he has set, always, always be worship, worshiping, always be pure, always be righteous, always be holy. Man, imagine if we, uh, in this room, for the last week, we had a, a little uh, voice memo that recorded everything that you thought about. And we just, for next, next week, we're going to do this. No, I'm just kidding. All right, and we played it. We played it up here, and it played all of your rolling thoughts. How terrifying would that actually be? How terrifying would it be? How many relationships would that destroy if it was up here? What's wrong with us? What is wrong with us? We are so different than this God whose holiness has never thought of anything ill about anything, has been perfectly just, perfectly righteous, perfectly holy forever. Forever. And so you see right here, the, the, the kind of the arrow that's going down is that's the growing awareness of our sin. Because the closer we get to God, guess what? There's an inverse reaction. I don't know, I don't know if that's the right term. Surely there's a math teacher here that can coach me up on this later. But there's an inverse reaction. The greater we understand our, um, the, the, the holiness of God, the greater we realize that we don't measure up. And so the closer I get to God, guess what? I'm actually becoming more and more aware of the brokenness of my own heart. Do you get what that's trying to say? And so what's going to save us? What's going to help us? Where is our hope? Well, you probably notice the three crosses right there. And that doesn't represent like, you know, the, the Calvary or anything like that. That is a growing awareness of the grace of God that bridges the gap between the holiness of him and my sinfulness. 
And so what we want as Christians as we grow in maturity is we want our view of the cross to become larger and larger and larger. And what that means is we will not become less and less and less sinful. We'll probably become more aware of the difference between us and God. But guess what? That means, yet not I, but through Christ and me am I saved. So therefore, the cross is going to get larger and larger and larger in our lives the more we mature in him. Does that make sense? Are you all with me? Good. Why did Jesus cleanse the temple? Because of this gap. This gap. So what is that trying to teach us? What is that trying to teach us? Well, Jesus answers very... um, almost cryptically, whenever he is asked about the authority of why. Um, what gives you the, what sign do you give us? What authority do you, do you give us to uh, prove that you can actually uh, cleanse this temple? What does, he, what does he say? Verse 19 says this. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And of course, they're super confused by that. They're like, what are you talking about? It took us 47 years or 46 years just to build this brick by brick. It took multiple generations to do this. You're an insane person. You're insane. Why would you even say that? But of course, we know. We know through God's word that he, the, the temple that he was talking about was the temple of his body. What is Jesus saying here? What is Jesus saying? He's coming in. He's cleansing the temple. That, gave, that, that the Jewish people, all their hope was placed on Passover. And in order for their sins to be forgiven, it took one man, one man, one day a week, or one day a year on Yom Kippur to go in and make sacrifices for the remissions of the sins of the people. But yet he had to do that every single year. And that was a dangerous job. He could walk in there and die. And in fact, Jewish history tells us that they started wrapping a rope around the high priest whenever he went into the Holy of Holies, which is in the temple. They started wrapping a rope in there because if, if the high priest did not purify him himself the way that the Bible said to do it, he would drop down dead in the presence of the Lord. And instead of the next guy going in there and dying, they just tied a rope to him so that they could drag out his dead body from the Holy of Holies. This was a serious, serious thing. All of their hope was on the sacrifices. All of their hope were, was on the priest. All of their hope was on this temple. Are we any different? Are we any different within our culture? You see, every single one of us in this room, we were made for a temple. We were made to have priests, and we were made to make sacrifices. All of us in this room, look at me, all of us in this room have things that you, places that you go to worship, people that you, um, that you see as your priest, even though you would never use this language, and sacrifices you make in your life that you place your ultimate hope in. Remember, uh, and remember the Titans. Uh, when Denzel Washington uh, turned the, 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 the lights of the football stadium, walk, blast on, he, what does he say? He goes, oh yeah, this is my sanctuary right here. Remember that? He goes, this is my place of worship right here. And we all have places of worship to where our lives revolve around. For some of us, it's the, it's the workplace. For some of us, it's the home. For some of us in, in this room, your temple is this idea of, you know, once a year I go to the beach and I do nothing. 
I do absolutely nothing. Or once a year, I go to the mountains and I do absolutely nothing. What is your life, what is your life re- revolving around? You say, I need a temple. I need a temple, a place of worship that all of this is actually for. I need something. I need a place that I can go to where my life has significance, purpose, and meaning. We all have a temple. And if we're really honest, I know you, you wouldn't use that exact same language, but that's what it is. Whenever you're placing some, a, a, a huge amount, a huge amount of emphasis that I'm only okay if I get to this place X number of times per week or per year or per month or per day, that's your temple. That's your temple. We all have priests too. What's a priest? Someone that is informing and shaping your worldview. Who is that? Who is that in your life right now? I can predict a couple, all right? A couple of different priests that you are letting into your life to shape you, to mold you, to form you, to... Joe Rogan, anybody? Anybody? Shaping uh, your priests that you go to? Oh, man, I, man, there's new information out there. I guess I better turn on this podcast and listen to it. Ben Shapiro, anybody? Um, priest Sally Clarkson? Oh, that only got a couple of people. But, I mean, listen, listen. There is a vast difference between Joe Rogan and Sally Clarkson. Jen, Jen Hatmaker, is this your priest? Is this your priestess? Michael Gunger, Candace Owens, Allie Beth Stuckey, Don Lemon, Tucker Carlson, Kamala Harris. Who do you follow on Instagram? Who do you follow on Twitter? Who are you giving your devotion to every single day? Who is informing and shaping your life? This is your priest. This is your priest. See, we're... We're no more evolved than the society back then. We have our own priests. We, we use different definitions, but we have our own priests. We have our own places of worship. We have our own temples. We make our own sacrifices. What do you sacrifice? Whatever's most important to you. Whatever, whatever fuels your significance and meaning. So that's why people overwork. That's why people, um, whenever, they, uh, whenever their kids um, act, act up or something like that. It de- it's not just bad, it's devastating. Why? Why? Because I need my kids to obey in order for me to have meaning. And whenever things get out of line, what? You're, you're devastated. What are you sacrificing? What are you sacrificing? What, what, where, do you, where does your mind naturally drift whenever you're just, you don't have to think about anything? Is it God? Is it God? Is it like metal metal particles being drawn back to the me, um, the the magnet of God, or is it something else? That's the thing that you're willing to sacrifice anything for. So we're we're just the same, right? We're just the same. We're no we're no different. And what Jesus was saying is this: He's saying you're looking to this temple to give you hope, meaning, significance, but I have come here to destroy this temple. And to raise it up three days later. Because I know what you really need. I know what you really need to give you significance, a meaning, and worth. I know what you are actually made for. And it's the sacrifice of my body in your place. See, this is the gospel. See, Jesus knew that I'm the real temple. I'm the real sacrifice. I'm the real priest. I'm the real prophet. I'm the real king that you were actually made for. And that's why Jesus says, I'm going to destroy this. And in three days, three days, raise it up. And like, what are you saying? He was saying, everything that you're looking for in this setting right now is actually just me. 
Everything that you need is found in my sacrifice in your place. So this is what Jesus is saying. This is what he's saying right here is everything is made for him. It all pointed, it all pointed to him. So if that's true, and it is, how can we apply this? How can, we, how can we be shaped by it? How can we be molded by it? How can we be changed by it? If everything that's going on in the temple, the sacrifices, the priests, is all really about Jesus, then what? Then what? And how do we need to apply this? Well, two things. And we see it in our, um, in our verse in Malachi. Remember what it said? It said that whenever the Lord came, he would be like a refiner's fire in a fuller's soap. A fuller soap was like acid that uh, rinsed out all of the, uh, all the stains to make it one color. It was a, a purifying agent. And the refiner's fire is, well, we know what a refiner's fire does. But Jesus said this is what he is really all about. He is really all about. He's about refining the temple of the Lord. And you know what's crazy about this? Is when, if you are born again in this, in, in this room, if you are in this room and you are following Jesus and walking with him, do you know what it says about what the Bible says about you? First Corinthians chapter three, verse Corinthians chapter six, it says this, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you whom, whom you have from God, you are not your own. Do you know what this is saying? Have you pieced it together in your, in your mind's eye? It's saying that he's a refiner's fire for your life. He is purifying your life. He has a zeal for the purity of the temple of the Lord. He has a zeal for purifying you. In this room right now, if you're, if you're a Christian, everything in this life is about refining and purifying you so that you can be more like Jesus, so that you can be holy, so that you can be holy. You know, I feel like I have to give a couple examples, a couple examples of how God is using, is using the refiner's fire in your life. Well, what does a furnace do whenever it gets really, really hot? If you're, a, if you're a jeweler and uh, you're trying to purify, purify gold, what are you trying to do? You're trying to get out all the impurities, right? You're trying to get out all of the impurities. And what is Jesus doing? What is Jesus doing? He's trying to get out all the impurities in your life. That's what he's trying to do. How does he do it? Well, let me give you an example. Whenever the heat comes on, because everyone in this room, if you're a Christian, you are, you are either in the fire right now, you just came out of the fire, or you're about to enter into the fire. The refiner's fire of the Lord. And let me give you an example. If your boss comes up to you and says, hey, we got to hit these, we gotta hit these, uh, these numbers. we got to do it. we got to do it right away. And he starts asking you to do something that might be unethical. Starts asking you to do something like, hey, I know we're going to make this up in the future, but we got to do it right now. I need these numbers here. And he starts bearing on your conscience. What is that? That's the heat of the Lord. And he's allowing you an opportunity to choose 
to choose. Are you going to stay in the fire and be purified so that all the impurities get burned up in your, in your life? Or, or are you going to hop right back out and you're going to say, you know what, I'm, I'm okay with some of these impurities. Oh, sure. Where am I going to find a, another job like this? I, I like the benefits. I like the comfort. I like, I like the stability that this job gives me. And I might risk it. I might risk it if I go against what he says. So you have to choose between your love and devotion for Jesus or your love for the comfort of your job. That's the furnace. That's the fire. Do you understand what this means? Every single thing in your life, God has given you an opportunity to choose. Choose devotion of him. Devotion of him. Stay in the fire and let everything else be burned up and let everything else turn into dross if you follow him. Or, he also says, just jump right back out. He gives you that ability. And so many of us in this room, we can think of opportunities where we stayed in the fire and we took the heat and we were purified because of it. Or, or we jumped right back out and said, God, not right now. I don't have, I don't have time for you to refine me right now. I got too much I got too much other stuff going on. But don't you realize? Don't you realize parents in this room that all the disobedience that's going on in your household, that's the that's the furnace heating up. It's the furnace heating up. So are are you going to actually do what God has called you to do to instruct your children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord or are you going to jump back out, turn on the TV, just say, "I just let me alone." Can you get can I get a little bit of quiet. A little, get a little bit of peace up in my house. Every single time, there's something that's going on in your life. That's the furnace heating up. Why? Because the Lord is the master. He's in charge. He's the ruler. He's the prophet, priest, and, and king of your life. And because he's king, that means he's in charge. He's sovereign over your life. And you can trust him that everything that's going on right now Everything that's going on right now in your life is because he's turning up the heat. Why? Because Jesus is the refiner of your life. He's the refiner. He's putting you through things not because he hates you, not because he's out to get you, not because of your past sin. All your past sins are covered. He says, I'm destroying my temple so that my body and raising it up on the third day so that you don't have to try to earn any of my favor. Now you know that everything that you're going through in life is just the refiner's fire heating up. Why? So that you can be purified. Purified so that you can look like him. My dear brothers and sisters, look at me. I think there's so many of us in this room. So many of us in this room that whenever the heat gets turned up, we think, man, what did I do? He's turning it on. And you know what that is? That's disbelief in the good news of the gospel. We have to press into faith in the gospel that says, you know what, it doesn't matter what I have done or or ever could do, Jesus has died in my place. My sin is cast as far as the east is from the west. And so therefore, whenever the heat is turned up, it's not because he's out to get me. He's out to refine me. He's out to make me like him. That's what this passage is teaching us. That's what this passage is teaching us. And number two, how else can we apply it? Not only is he the refiner, but he's also the owner. He's also the owner of your life. He's the owner of the temple. Notice, notice whenever he was um, earlier in chapter two, whenever he was at the the wedding in Cana, someone asked him to do something, and he says, sure, yeah, love to do it. And it was very, very pleasant there. 
But why the change of the demeanor whenever he got to the temple? You want to know why? Because he was home. Jesus was home. The temple was made for him. And whenever you're home, guess what? You're in charge. Jesus is not to renter. He owns the house. And you know what that means, Christian? He owns you. He owns you. He is not renting your life. He's not renting space in your heart. He owns it. And so uh, I've never been to an Airbnb, uh, number one, that wasn't super hospitable. And oftentimes an Airbnb will ask you, hey, what else can we get you? Do you need more towels? Do you need anything? And not once have I ever said, you know what? I don't really like the paint color in this room. Can you paint it while I'm staying here? Or, you know what? I think this room would look better as kind of an open concept. And so could you bust out this wall real fast? I've never, I've never done that whenever I'm just renting, renting a space. Why? Because you don't do that. But Jesus, whenever he enters into a place that he owns, he says, yeah, let's change the color in this room. Let's bust out this wall. And what is he doing? He's busting up the walls of your heart. Because why? He's taking up residence in you. He's living inside of you, which means he's in charge. He's in charge. You want to know a good way, a good way to know, to know if your heart is just, if you're just allowing Jesus space to rent or to be a guest or to actually own and live, is you can point back to this past year and said, you know what, I used to do that, but he's been refining me. He's changed that in my life. He's shaped me differently. I, I, I'm more patient than I've ever been before. I'm more joyful than I've ever been before. I'm more kind to my friends and my neighbors than I've ever been before, my coworkers. I have more self-control than I've had before. Why? Because Jesus comes in, he takes up residence, and he knocks down walls in your heart, and he says, I am in charge now. I'm the one. I'm the one that lives here. You were made for me. And really, all salvation is is the discovery that Jesus, Jesus has always been the owner of your heart. He's always been the owner of your heart. So my hope, my hope for us in this room is that we walk out of here knowing that the circumstances that are going on in your life are, be are because Jesus is putting you in the fire constantly to refine you. And he's only doing that because he owns you. And listen, listen, this is not drudgery. This is delight. It's delight. Because that's what Jesus desires for you. He desires your happiness. He desires your joy. And you know what? You, you want to know how you can be happy and joyful in this life? Be more and more like Jesus. I know that sounds painful. The fire is hot. It is. But look what happens whenever you get out of it. Pure gold. That's what he's doing. That is what he's doing here in, here in your life. Is He's purifying you and making you more like him. Will you pray with me?